Welcome to Twin Talk. It is January 1st, 2023. This is Joy and I'm here with my sister Angie. And today we're going to be talking about the story Angela's Ashes. And I'm going to read a real quick, well, first of all, hello Angie. Hello. And one of my New Year's resolutions is of course to do better on Twin Talk and to <laughs> make it more of a priority. What's one of your New Year's resolutions? That's definitely one of them. That and to lose the 13 pounds that I gained this year. Yeah. Last year. Right. So, uh, me too. 2023 is going to be the year of weight loss for yes, me. Yes, me too. And doing better at Twin Talk. Yeah. So, Well, this is a book review that I found online, and um, I decided it was a pretty good review, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt is a quintessential coming-of-age story viewed through the grimy, unyielding, and sometimes downright heartbreaking lens of poverty. It follows Frank McCourt as he comically explains the dire circumstances of his conception, birth, and life. Switching seamlessly between a first and third person narration, you get the feel of being everywhere at once. And honestly, I didn't notice mm -hmm. <laughs> the point of view. I did not notice that sometimes it was first person and sometimes it was third person. I didn't either. Because I was mm -hmm. listening to it on Audible. Was it Frank McCourt that narrated the book yes, or not? Yes, yes. Okay. He did an amazing job yes. of narrating the book. It was so funny. And I loved it that he did it because there are certain little phrases that the Irish will say. Yes. Like little sounds they make. Yes. And in the book, I'm like, how do you pronounce that? And then he would pronounce it on the audio. So I guess we should go ahead and say it here. It is a great book to read because mm -hmm. we've both read it. But it's even better to listen to yeah. because it is him doing the narrating and of course he has the authentic Irish accent his, and his, he does the little voices when he's his talking. His dad would always go, I, or <laughs> Yeah, when and he would do the kids' voices versus, ak, ak. Yeah. yeah, the kids' uh, voices versus the adults' yes. uh, voices. When he would say something that he said as a child, so he was basically... Doing his boy voice. Yeah, like, and he was basically being himself. Yes. And he would say the things he said as a child. Yes. And it was always so self-deprecating. Yes. And uh, it was hilarious, because he always made himself sound like he was always, like, scared and stupid. Mm -hmm. If you think about it. Yeah. He was always scared, scared and stupid. stupid. Right. So That's how he really portrayed himself, very, although he wasn't. Very funny. So, yeah, you definitely got to listen to it. Um, Angela and Malachi were at the right place at the right time for a love story full of wrongs to occur. Having a one-night stand which resulted in a pregnancy that resulted in a patched-together marriage. After losing the baby girl she had been praying for, Angela McCourt, with her husband's urging, decides that New York is no longer their place of salvation. They pack up and board a boat, headed back to war-torn Ireland to pick up the pieces and make something of their family. After landing, they find that their luck is no better in Ireland than in New York. Their dreams of prospering in their homeland are crushed by the impossible struggle of just trying to keep from starving or being swept away in the bitter rain. Even with government assistance and the random wages their father raises, it is no match for the consuming alcoholism. Losing two more children, the family still struggles to make ends meet until they move in with an unlikely relative. Frank, now left to his own devices and struggling to keep a stable relationship with his mother, finds himself longing for the home he left behind, America. And so I just thought that was a pretty good summary. And I'll just go ahead and interject here that we have a little bit of experience with this. We had a father who grew up with a, his father was an alcoholic and the stories I've heard many times 
he would work in the coal mine and the money, all the money didn't make it home. A lot of it went to, to drinking and that's, we won't get too deep into it cause it was personal, mm-hmm. but I think our dad experienced a lot of poverty and they still would have been poor. I think even with his wages, but there were so many parallels that I yeah. could see in the story. This guy went on, you know, our dad just went through eighth grade and, and was able to be pretty successful, you know. He had his own home and land and money in the, the bank. Well, he joined the army just so the, he could send money back to his family right. and for lunches for all of his siblings. So. Yes, and he yeah. still loved his dad, but I saw a lot of parallels oh, absolutely. in this story and our dad's story. Yeah. Because uh, in this guy here, he just went through horrible poverty, but still made something of himself. There was one passage where Frank's dad was coming home for Christmas, and he was supposed to be bringing home a little bit of money, right. and he was kind of bragging that he brought them a gift, and he brought home a box of chocolate, and they open it up, and half of it's gone. And the wife starts questioning him, where's the money? And then the children start saying, you drank the money, you drank the yes. money. And it just, yeah, that reminds me. It's heartbreaking. Me. Yeah, it was heartbreaking, and it did remind me of our dad. Yeah, so I just wanted the listeners to know that maybe this book was even a little bit more, <sighs> I don't know, poignant? I don't know what the mm-hmm. word I'm looking for is to us. Because we have heard stories very similar, similar to these. Yeah, and there's no telling the story. There's so many things I know that we don't know. Exactly. That We've that only been told his, a little bit. Yeah, that he and his siblings went through. We'll never know what they endured. Right. But 13 kids, a stay-at-home mom, and the, the primary breadwinner a lot of times. Spending his whole paycheck on... Alcohol. Yeah. yeah, and that's how sad, what a sad disease alcoholism is, yes. you know? Yes, and, and back, and <clears throat> I have to say this, because I was even thinking at the time, why couldn't something have been done? But things are so different now they when are. it comes to helping people with alcohol, <coughs> alcoholism. Than There's they, so much more public the, assistance now. Oh, yeah. And back in this story, you know, it would have been in the, gosh, I can't think what, the 30s? Yeah. 40s, maybe. I'm, I'm not, I should know the setting, but it was. Well, he went to England to help make. Oh, you're right. He was working World War Two. Happened during World War Two. So II. had him in the forties. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to talk about the title of the book, Angela's Ashes. There is a sequel mm-hmm. called Tiz, and I think we've both read that, but neither one of us can remember it very mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And I don't know if the explanation of the title is in the sequel. Do you remember? Yeah. So I was talking to Joy before this podcast, and I was like, "What do you think the title means?" Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're talking about now. Yeah. So what my, are you thinking? What my do you think first it means? thought when I hear Angela's ashes, I think of someone that's cremated, hmm. and then when someone's cremated, and you spread their ashes in a place that's special. So hmm. my thought was, well, maybe he was spreading her ashes, and that's where all these memories started coming back, and the and hmm. that's where he got motivated to write the book. But I have no clue. Okay, well, I actually have given this quite a bit of thought. And all through the book, she's sitting by a fire smoking woodbines. And I, I, when oh. I say woodbines, I think that's just another word for top, It's a brand of cigarette, I guess, yeah. or top of cigarette. And so I was thinking she's always smoking. Mm-hmm. She's always sitting by a fire, mm-hmm. and there's always ashes. And, and then I thought, what are ashes? They're the remnants of something that used, that once was. Right. And I kind of looked at this book as she had her whole life ahead of her. And I'm sure she was like anyone else that she had dreams and ambition and th- things that, that she'd hoped her life would be like. But after it was all said and done, there was really just ashes of her dreams is what was left Ooh, over. Ooh, that's pretty deep. I agree. She had a very tragic life. 
What was your overall impression of the book? Oh, gosh. First of all, we need to let everyone know that this didn't win a Pulitzer Prize. Mm -hmm. So I had that in mind as I was reading the book. And I'm thinking, okay, I want to see what makes this book so great. And I connected with it on so many levels. He is a great storyteller. And, yes. like, you just felt like in his stories you were there. You know what I'm saying? He, he's very descriptive, very vivid. You just you could just literally feel every emotion. See, I just thought it was wonderful. What are the qualifications to be a Pulitzer Prize winning mm, book? I don't know. I would think um, I would think a lot of it is inspiring. It's an inspiring story. Yeah, it's something yeah. that can inspirational. change. Inspirational, very inspirational. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, this was an amazing book. You mm-hmm. talk about inspiration. Um, I mean, it's it's tragic. Let's get this out. Yeah, there. it's sad it's and sad. tragic. It's a it's a tragic book. It's get sad. ready for sadness and tragedy mm-hmm. and just the worst poverty you can think of. But here's what makes the story so special to me. Mm-hmm. He tells it in a funny way. Yeah. So you don't get so mired down the sadness that you're like, I just can't read this anymore. Yeah. It's funny. And I want to read this quick little passage that kind of shows you how he takes such a horrible, depressing, sad subject mm-hmm. and makes it funny and, fun, you know, fun to read. I believe this is at the beginning of the book. <clears throat> When I look back on my childhood, I wonder how I survived it all. It was, of course, a miserable childhood. The happy childhood is hardly worth your while. Worse than the ordinary miserable childhood is the miserable Irish childhood. And worse yet is the miserable Irish Catholic childhood. Mm -hmm. So he takes something that was, like I said, horrible and sad and depressing, but he makes it funny. And I can't remember one time in the book going, oh, I wish he'd get on with it. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, I don't think I can finish this book. Or, oh, this is boring. Every page kept me interested. So immediately, <coughs> you're hooked just from yeah. the opening paragraph because you're thinking it was funny. And to me, one of the things that made the book interesting was a lot of the traditions, their Catholic traditions and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah, I learned a lot about uh, the Ireland, of course. And he's from Limerick, so you learn a lot about Limerick. And you learn about a lot about Catholicism and things like that. So we both agree that it's a wonderful book. Mm-hmm. It deserved the Pulitzer um, and you were right when you said that what made it so uh, enjoyable to read was his ability to take a tragic subject and make it not funny, but he was able to present it in a way that was just heartwarming. Yes. And every, I read. Palatable. Does, he made it palatable. Yes. <laughs> and there's so many reviews on this book and I read dozens of them. And 90% of them basically said what you said. So was there anything that stood out about the book to you? Oh, gosh. One thing that really stood out to me was his view of America. Mm-hmm. And so every time, you know, that he was just suffering or miserable, he would start talking about Americans mm-hmm. and America. And it was always, occasionally they'd get to go to the cinema and mm-hmm. they'd get to watch a movie with James Cagney in it. They would talk <clears> about, <throat> oh, the, the wonderful American voices and they they have these smooth tongues and people dress nice and they drive cars and they have electricity and they have food three times a day and just it's like mm-hmm. you could just tell he would just daydream and just just like he longed for a better life and his vision of a better life was america right and he did eventually end up in america and he became a teacher and a professor which kind mm-hmm. of blows my mind when you read how poor he was that he actually made it through school and became a, an english yeah. literature professor i believe Yes. And, of course, ended up writing a Pulitzer Prize-winning book. 
And the, and the other thing that I wanted to mention was the men of Ireland. Maybe not the whole country, but in this. So they love the pint. They love to go to the pubs. Okay, mm-hmm. but in, in, I'll just have one for the, just one round, boys. Just one. You know, no matter what, they took any reason yeah. to celebrate. Yeah, anything it was didn't an matter. excuse for a drink. Anything was an excuse for a drink. And the, <laughs> half the time, the women couldn't get their husbands to come out of the pubs. But the, mm-hmm. what really struck me, Joy, was World War Two is raging england is they're literally hiring men from ireland to go work in the factories to build bombs whatever mm-hmm. you know all these different munitions yeah factories. weapons for the allies yeah. so they go <coughs> over and they're paying good money to come to england and work they're all desperate for jobs well one of the days that, that they're all supposed to be leaving on the train to go to England mm-hmm. to start their jobs. So they sent all these men money for travel. Right. Well, they all go in the bars. Right. Spend they spend it on booze. Right. Well, then the people that had hired these men, they go and they start paying sober men to go in the bars and drag them right. out. And then the women are all outside weeping and crying and... They're all like, I won't, I may never see you again. And they're all drunk getting yeah. on the train. And I was like, it was yeah, just such it just a... makes you wonder if it was a, a, a national epidemic. Exactly. Not just like a, like a, yes. a local epidemic. He, he just gave the impression that for the most part, the men over there were kind of not, it was just their situation. It's yeah. like there was poverty and it was kind of like, Oh, well, boys. Like, they just didn't take it seriously. Yes, it was kind of like, well, boys, times are tough, but by golly, we're going to go have that drink. You know what I mean? I I don't know. It was just the way he described the men of Limerick was, it was, it was, it was funny, but it was was sad. sad. Yeah, Yeah. it was just sad. So, one of the things that took me by surprise, and maybe it's because we coddle our kids so much and we spoil them rotten, I know, Mm -hmm. try not to, but it's how hateful that he portrayed the adults in the book, just downright Mm -hmm. evil, mean, hateful to each other, to these kids. And a lot of them were in authoritative positions, like some of the teachers, some of the people of the Catholic Church, some of the people who were in charge of giving out the dole or whatever they called, Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, like giving out the bread and milk, whatever. Just hateful, mean, like they had no sympathy for the poor. They just kind of looked down their noses at them. It was almost like but, everyone was so callous. Yes. It's just, like they were just had no feelings. Mm-hmm. No, I guess lack of uh, sympathy for these no poor. There was no sympathy, no who empathy. Are these, who are these people who are obviously having to beg mm-hmm. for food and clothes and things. Now, I will say that there were a few bright points in the book. For instance, he did have one teacher... He would lament the fact that some of these boys were really bright, but he knew they had no future because of this class system. Yes. And he would say, like, Frank McCourt, you know, he should be anything he wants to be. He could be anything he wanted to be if he's in America. But here, he'll end up running telegrams. So, he would have a few people that did have a heart and did want better for the students. But for the most part, he acted like that all we were ever told in school was that we were idiots and that we were we weren't smart enough to learn anything right. they just treated them like they were nothing one part another part that stood out to me that was so sad was frank was so hungry and it had been mm. a, a long time since he had eaten and someone had thrown their a wrapper on the ground or something that had had fish and chips in it mm-hmm. and he licked the wrapper just yes. so he could taste the oil yeah. that was left over and that that was heartbreaking and one of those teachers it was really cruel to the, the kids. 
every day he would bring an apple to school and he would sit there and peel it and eat it. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he said they would all literally just be sitting there salivating watching him eating that apple because they right. were so hungry. There are just some very heartbreaking moments. How many limericks do you give the book? Absolutely give it five limericks. Mm-hmm. I need to. I give it five and limericks. And I don't, I don't even hesitate to say yeah. that. I don't either. A lot of the content is hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, at the last of the review, I did leave off that last paragraph, but I want to go back to it now. It says, this story is, a ch- is challenging to the emotions. It deals with many elements and situations that make people uncomfortable. However, it has you holding back laughter as Frank McCourt has this magical ability to make light of being starving in the pouring rain, walking through the streets of Limerick. This book has you feel love, loss, fear, hunger, and the will to overcome uncertainty. I'm glad you read that because I was kind of struggling for the right words earlier, but you just said he makes light yeah. of his situation. And that's what's so remarkable about the book is his ability right. to do that. Um, and, and I know we've really touched on his dad a lot because yes. his, his, dad his dad played a major... A role in his life, even though he wasn't there a lot, mm-hmm. and that's where Frank got his storytelling abilities from. It sounds like they said yes. he said his dad could tell a story and hold a room with the stories. And that's what I wanted to mention was, I feel like all their suffering came from the fact that his dad would not hold down a job, and that he would not bring money in, and he was very kind of arrogant in a way. Like no matter what you'd say to him, he had an excuse. Mm-hmm. And Frank mentions he said, you know. I always looked at my dad as he was kind of like the Trinity. He said, I feel like I had three dads. He said, there was the dad in the morning that would read the paper that was sober. He said, there was the dad that would put me to bed sometimes at night. We would say prayers. He said, and then there was the dad that did the bad thing. And the bad thing was his drinking. And he would come home sometimes so drunk at three o'clock in the morning and he would make Frank and his brothers get up and he would make them sing songs, old Irish songs. And he would make them promise to die for Ireland. Yeah. How many times would you say through the book he woke them up and said, Boys, promise me you'll die for Ireland. I mean, that was yeah. just, it was just mm-hmm. a constant throughout yeah. the book. Just imagine what that would do to you I can't even as imagine. a child. you know. And then the mom, this whole time, she feels powerless to do anything about it. No, but there anyway, wasn't much she could do. But like he said, you could tell he was like he knew in his heart that that wasn't his real dad. He mm-hmm. knew that there was more to his dad than just the part, the drink. Right. And then he said... Yeah, there's more to an alcoholic. Uh, they had to get there somehow. Yes. And, and he, uh, he said, yeah, I wish... He was not just one-dimensional. He he knew his dad just wasn't one-dimensional. There was good and bad. And there was one part of the book, and I, Joy, maybe you'll remember this, but he was so excited because his dad said something to him like it was it, he actually showed him some emotion mm-hmm. and he uh, he was wanting to cry and he said i wish this was like america where people actually said i love you and, oh, and tell each no. other they love each other and he said i wanted so bad to just sit up on his knee and just sit there oh and so heartbreaking it, it was it was heartbreaking well we were gonna read some favorite passages but i left the book at home i didn't realize i had it there so what we're gonna do is we're gonna meet another time and we're gonna both read some of our favorite passages so you can get a feel for what how the book reads and what his writing was like and we're going to edit that in later so before we sign off is there anything else you want to talk about no i just highly highly recommend this book um it will make you cry it will make you laugh 
It has everything you could possibly want in a in a book, and he is a masterful storyteller. So go read Angela's Ashes. Yes, and I'll just add that you get to learn a little bit about you know immigration, what's like to come as an immigrant to New York. You know they end up in New York City, and then what was like to live in Limerick Island during what the Great Depression started in. Was it 1929? Around, yeah, the 20s. I'm trying to figure out. They're just 30s. coming out of the Great Depression. But mm-hmm. in Ireland, it definitely, they were definitely in a depression. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next time on Twin, Twin Talk. Talk. This passage is about when Malachi signs up with an agent to work in a factory in Coventry during World War II. We're up early to see Dad off at the railway station. Kathleen O'Connell at the shop knows Dad is off to England, and money will be flowing back, so she's happy to let Ma'am have credit for tea, milk, sugar, bread, butter, and an egg. An egg. Ma'am says, This egg is for your father. He needs the nourishment for the long journey before him. It's a hard-boiled egg, and Dad peels off the shell. He slices the egg five ways and gives each each of us a bit to put on our bread. Ma'am says, Don't be such a fool. Dad says, what would a man be doing with a whole leg to himself? Ma'am has tears on her eyelashes. She pulls her chair over to the fireplace. We all eat our bread and egg and watch her cry till she says, what are you gawking at? And turns away to look into the ashes. Her bread and egg are still on the table, and I wonder if she has plans for them. They look delicious, and I'm still hungry. But Dad gets up and brings, brings them to her with the tea. She shakes her head, but he presses them on her, and she eats and drinks, sniffing and crying. He sits opposite her a while, silent, till she looks up at the clock and says, "'Tis time to go." He puts on his cap and picks up his bag. Ma'am wraps Alfie in an old blanket, and we set off through the streets of Limerick. There are other families in the streets. The going-away fathers walk ahead. The mothers carry babies or push prams. Prams might be packed with four or five babies squalling away because the prams are old and the wheels bockety and the babies are rocked till they get sick and throw up their goody. The men call to each other, Grand day, Mick. Lovely day for the journey, Joe. Tis indeed, Mick. All right, we might as well have a pint before we go, Joe. We might as well, Mick. Might as well be drunk as the way we are, Joe. They laugh and the women behind them are teary-eyed and red-nosed. In the pubs around the railway station, the men are packed in, drinking the money the agents gave them for travel food. They're having the last pint, the last drop of whiskey on Irish soil. For God knows it might be the last we'll ever have, Mick, the way the Jerrys are bombing the bejesus out of England, and not a minute too soon after what they did to us. And isn't it a tragedy, a tragic thing entirely, the way we have to go over there and save the arse of the ancient foe? Some men are already too drunk to walk, and the English agents are paying sober men to drag them out to drag them out of the pubs and throw them on a great horse-drawn float to be hauled to the station and dumped into the train. The agents are desperate to get everyone out of the pubs. Come on, men, miss the train, and you'll miss a good job. Now, men, please, you're drinking your food money, and you'll get no more. The men tell the agents to kiss their Irish arses, that the agents are lucky they're alive, lucky they're not hanging from the nearest lamppost after what they did to Ireland, and the men sing, Oh, Mount Joy, one Monday morning, high up on the gallows tree, Kevin Berry gave his young life for the cause of liberty. 
The train wails in the station and the agents beg the women to get their men out of the pubs and the men stumble out singing and crying and hugging their wives and children and promising to send so much money, Limerick will be turned into another New York. The men climb the station steps and the women and children call after them. Kevin, love, mind yourself and don't be wearing damp shirts. Dry your socks, Michael, or the bunions will destroy you entirely. Patty, go easy on the drink. Are you listening, Patty? Dad, Dad, don't go, Dad. Tommy, don't forget to send the money. The children are skin and bones. Peter, don't forget to be taking the medicine for your weak chest. God help us. Larry, mind them bloody bombs. Christy, don't be talking to them English women. They're full of diseases. Jackie, come back. Surely we'll manage somehow. Don't go, Jackie. Jackie? Jesus, don't go. Dad pats our heads. He tells us, remember our religious duties, but above all, obey our mother. He stands before her. She has the baby Alfie in her arms. She says, mind yourself. He drops the bag and puts his arms around her. They stay that way a moment till the baby yelps between them. He nods, picks up his bag, climbs the steps to the station, turns to wave, and he's gone. Back at home, Mam says, I don't care. I know it sounds extravagant, but I'm going to light the fire and make more tea, for it isn't every day your father goes to England. We sit around the fire and drink our tea and cry because we have no father, till Mam says, Don't cry, don't cry. Now that your father has gone to England, surely our troubles will be over. Surely.